Matthew chapter 17, verses 13 through 23. And so, Don, thank you, sir. Today's scripture comes from Matthew 7, 13 to 23, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who will go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are raging wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from the thorn bushes or figs from thistles? And in the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither will a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you will recognize them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. This Trinity Church is God's word. You may be seated. Thank you, sir. This is a, um, I feel like we've said this almost weekly during the Sermon on the Mount. This is a pretty stout passage, is it not? If, it, if, if that didn't make your eyebrows go up, you were probably sleeping. Um, today, we are wrapping up our study on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, true story, uh, this Thursday, I thought I was going to get two more messages out of it. And this Thursday, while I was uh, going over my notes, I realized, like, no, we need to go ahead and wrap this thing up. And whenever I did that, I actually felt a little bit emotional. Because this series, if you remember, we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount. If you've been here for a while now, you probably remember that we went through the first half back around November in a series called This Is Us. And then we've gone through the second half in this series, Back to Basics. And so for me, in my study and praying for you, it has been immersed in this message for Jesus, of Jesus for almost a, well, for over a quarter of this year. For over a quarter of the last calendar year, uh, we've been just right here. And so I was, I was kind of in my feelings about finishing this. You're like, I'm in my feelings too. I'm glad you're going to talk about something different, finally. But Jesus today is, um, he finishes his message by essentially drawing a, drawing a line in the sand. And he says, choose wisely. It's what he says. Uh, whenever I was in high school, I've told some of you the story before, I loved basketball so much it didn't love me back. But it was my sport. I, eat, I ate, slept, and breathed it. I watched as much of it as I could. I played it in season. I played in the off season. And in season, I would go to my practice as a sophomore and junior. I'd go to my practice in the mornings, and then I would go to the varsity practice in the afternoon. 
Now, the fact that as a junior, I went to my JV practice and varsity practice tells you that I wasn't in danger of greatness, right? Because most of the time, good juniors are already on the varsity, but I wasn't. But I loved so much that game. I loved the team aspect. I loved having a goal that we were all working towards. In my senior year, we made a deep run into the playoffs, but eventually we got bounced by Flower Mound Marcus, and I hate them to this day. <laughs> but we lost to Flower Mound Marcus in like the, the sweet 16. We had had a, had a good ride. But I remember afterwards in the locker room, while it was just hitting me, that it was over. Like I wasn't going to be playing college basketball. Nobody was asking me to do that. So for me, it was done. And I remember in that locker room just sobbing, and I was realizing there's no more opportunities to get better. Like, there's no more chance to do something together. It's just really done. And the finality of that hit me like a ton of bricks, and I cried a brick's worth of tears. I really did. Jesus, as he finishes his message in the Sermon of the Mount, he begins speaking in terms of, of finality of like an end of days and kind of a bottom line of life that is so much more important than any other love that we could ever have. Certainly more important than anything else we could invest our lives in is, of course, the, it's the kingdom of God. And whenever you look at what Jesus said and what he was claiming, he was saying things like, on that day, you will say to me and I will say to you, I never knew you. And what you realize is that Either Jesus was Looney Tunes or he was a lot more than just a good moral teacher. Just a kind man and a good moral teacher does not make claims to judge the living and the dead. He doesn't speak of what will be decided for you and for I in our eternity. What we see is that Jesus was the real deal. He was claiming he was. And so what he lays out for us today is worth, is worth thinking about. And so... Um, the title of the message is Choose Wisely. Choose Wisely. And what is the first thing that we learn from looking at the words of Jesus? The first thing is this, is that God's kingdom is open to anyone, but not everyone will enter. God's kingdom is open to anyone, but not everyone will enter. And so Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. And he says, there's a wide road and that leads to destruction and there's a narrow road that leads to life. It's the difficult road, in fact. And he says that few find it. And this thing to where he says, enter the narrow gate, it's a command. It's not an encouragement. He's not laying down his way as one valid way among many ways. He essentially says, there is my way and then there is all others, which is pretty intense. And which for, I mean, we're in... You know, in, in government and in a nation, like pluralism is, is good. It's good that we can all survive and work together alongside of each other. And so whenever we look at something that Jesus says that seems so exclusive and is so exclusive, it can offend kind of our pluralist sensibilities. And so we would say, well, why can't just everybody enter into the kingdom of heaven? Why can't you do you, do your best and then we'll all get there in the end. 
And that's sort of, that's one particular view of just spirituality in general, that we all do different things, but it's pretty much the same thing. And in the end, we're all gonna get where we're going and it will all be the same. Except that's not what Jesus is saying. And when you look at the, not just the life he lived, but the death he died, the cost that God brought upon himself to make a way to heaven, you see that Jesus is not being flippant. He's not simply saying, hey, you, everything else not good enough, you gotta look at me. You've gotta see that an infinite God laid himself down for finite people. The perfect, most wonderful person that ever walked the face of this earth loved the most broken, sinful people that have ever walked the face of this earth. All of us are included in that. And he said, I want them so much, I'm gonna lay my life down for them. I want them. And so whenever you look at it, Jesus isn't just making statements and saying everyone else can work it out on their own. He's laying himself down and he's saying, this is it. I wouldn't give all of this to you unless it was necessary. And so he did it. And so whenever we look at that, we can't be quick to brush it off. Think of it this way. Um, Any of you know those kids that are like PB&J kids? It's like whatever mom makes, whatever dad makes, no matter how much it costs, no matter how much it's put together, it's sat down at the table and it's like, ew, I don't want that. I don't want that. Can I just have peanut butter and jelly? And it's sort of this, can I, have, can I just have chicken nuggets? Can I just have this? Can I just have that? And the idea is that as, as an adult, and sometimes when we look back at ourselves as kids, we're like, could have been just a little bit more grateful. It wasn't like mom like waved a magic wand and made stuff appear just so I could turn it down and have something I really wanted. No, it was at great cost and great love that that thing was provided, right? And what I'm saying is how much more so with God? How can we look at what God has done through Jesus and say, you should have given more ways whenever he was willing at the ultimate cost to himself to provide the way? And we don't get to judge which ways are valid. We don't get to. God does that. And so here's, here's the thing. Stakes are high. So everyone must be told. This is a message that every Christian, the message of the kingdom of God, and there's a lot more to it than just remember everything Jesus has said up to this point before he goes, now choose. There's a lot to read and a lot to think through, but when Jesus sits this life in front of us, it's not just a life, it's a message that he has entrusted you and I to share with other people. It's not just the way is narrow, hope you find it. It's the way is narrow, let's go tell others about it. And the stakes to that are high, so much so that everything else we spend our time doing, unless it includes the message of the kingdom of God, it, it stops short of the fullness of God. So that whenever we do things like the food distribution yesterday, we will do food distributions forever. It's kind of our thing here. We will feed people until Jesus comes back, whether or not they ever say, will you pray for me? Whether or not they ever say, can I come to your church? We are drawing no lines with that. And yet, everyone that we give food, we hope for the opportunity that they will receive also what Jesus calls the bread of life the water of life, like the truth and the thing that can sustain and save forever. 
This is so important whenever um, early in Jesus's ministry in the gospel of Mark, I love this story. You're like, I know, because you're telling it again. But whenever Jesus is ministering one evening, um, it says the whole town came to the door where he was. He stays up late into the night, praying for them, healing the sick. And the next morning, while it is still dark, Jesus got up and he went away to a lonely place to pray. And as he was praying, eventually his disciples come find him and they say, hey, everyone's looking for you. And Jesus doesn't say, okay, well, I guess we better get back and start doing the thing, healing and feeding. Not that that's not valid at all, but in that moment, Jesus had to make a choice and here's the choice he made. He said, let's go on to other villages. I've got people there that I need to share this message with also. And he says, that is why I have come. And if you are a Christian, that same message is something that's been entrusted to you. You're meant to be a witness of the life that Jesus has lived, and you're meant to share it with others, and stakes are high. Everybody really does need to be told. Everybody needs to be told. And it's not just that stakes are high, time is limited. Stakes are high, everyone must be told, and then time is limited, everyone must respond. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus has an interaction with the disciples, and it parallels the same subject. And he went through the t- one town and village after another teaching and making his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, not the disciples, Lord, someone asked him, are only a few people going to be saved? And Jesus said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because I tell you, many will try to enter and won't be able to once the homeowner gets up and shuts the door. Many will try to enter and won't be able to once the homeowner gets up and shuts the door. What is it that is in us, in the human heart, that we only like to get serious when we know we have to? It's like, oh, you're going to shut the door. Hey, I'm coming, I'm coming. And Jesus says, whenever God shuts the door, the door is in fact going to be shut. But you know there's something in us. It's a, it's a sinfulness. It can be a laziness. Look at it this way in, in relationships. Um, I was watching an episode of The Office this week. And before Pam married Jim, Pam was with a guy named Roy. And so Pam and Roy were engaged for a very long time. Roy was rude to Pam, Roy was mean to Pam, Roy was disregarding to Pam, and whenever Pam finally called off the wedding and said, I'm done with you, Roy was more serious about Pam than he had ever been before. Suddenly, he appreciated everything about her. Suddenly, her art was better than all the other art. Suddenly, she could do no wrong. And there's a scene where he's talking about her, and it's this one right here, actually, a screenshot of it. And he goes, gosh, I got to get her back. And that's kind of the way that we are sometimes when we're lazy towards things that really do matter. And what Jesus is saying here is that we're not always going to have more time to make the decisions we need to make. God has so much grace but there is a time when he will shut the door. So stakes are high and everyone must be told, but time is limited, so people must respond. 
There's a reality to the things that Jesus says. And he's not just meant to be appreciated in general. He demands our allegiance. So stakes are high. Time is limited. But also, God is active. God is active. So we can trust him beyond our efforts. Whenever Jesus says something that is true and kind of staggering, that the gate is narrow, the road is hard, and few find it, and whenever he gives us the responsibility of sharing a message, it makes us ask really big questions like, what if somebody doesn't hear? Like, will they go to hell simply because I have not told them or simply because a missionary wasn't able to get there? These are huge questions, and I don't know how to answer all of them, especially not as one point in a message. But what I can say definitively is what the Bible shows us, that God is active beyond our efforts. And what the Bible actually tells us is that every man— Every man, God has appointed where they would live and when so that they could reach out to him and find him, though he's not far from any of us. That's what the Bible says. Wherever you've lived and when you've lived, part of God's strategy in your life has been so that you could know him, so that you could reach out to him and find him. I've sat in Syria on a park bench with a uh, young man who had, a young formerly Muslim man who had come to Jesus through a series of dreams. Not because somebody got to give him a clear presentation of the gospel, which is what hopefully everybody will get, but what you see is that Jesus was active even beyond the work of missionaries. Does that make sense? And so whenever we look at the rest of the world, whenever we stand before God, it won't do for us to say, well, what about them? Because what Jesus is saying right here is, well, what about you? He say, he's speaking to people who have heard what he said. And so us today, you have heard, choose wisely. Jesus has spoken to you. God has made it in such a way where you are hearing some of his truth. What will you do with what you have? So, do you trust in Jesus enough to do what he says? Disciples are also out there hearing the Sermon on the Mount right here. And forget the trouble that the rest of the world will have, up, have living up to the standards of Jesus I mean, this guy who has loved teaching the Sermon on the Mount, these challenge me too. We love Jesus. We trust Jesus. Do we trust him enough to, to embrace the life he asks us to live? And that's what the Sermon on the Mount is. He gives us a comprehensive way of life, a way of looking at love, a way of looking at money, a way of looking at hypocrisy and truthfulness. Do we trust him enough to do what he says? Hard stuff, right? And so Jesus shifts gears a little bit and he, he begins to make an important point. Number two, not everyone who speaks about God speaks for God. Not everyone who speaks about God speaks for him. And so Jesus says, there are false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing meaning their outward appearance, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. In their true character, their motives, they're up to something, and it's not your good. It's not my good. 
And so what is a prophet? It's somebody who's thought to speak for the good and evil, to foretell the future at times, to foretell God's word at times. The idea is that they speak for God. And Jesus says, yeah, just because someone claims they do doesn't necessarily mean they do. And he gives us a way of identifying them. Every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. And he goes into this whole fruit illustration. A tree determines what type of fruit it's going to put out. Apple trees put out apples, but dying trees don't put out good apples. And so what Jesus is saying, I mean, how do we build a bridge here? We don't really plant trees, much of us. If you've gone unto H-E-B, and you've sawdeth through the shelves. You're going, you're going through, you're grabbing fruit. Can we all agree that HEB has much better produce section than anywhere else in town? They do. They do. It's just that I can't afford to shop there more than once every three months. <sighs> Bunch of rich people here. <clears throat> no, I'm just kidding. Um, but you look through there, and what you see determines if you take it with you. And what Jesus is showing us is that whenever people are, are claiming to speak for God, whenever they're teaching on behalf of God, whenever they're trying to deliver spiritual truth, he's saying, look at their life beyond their moment of ministry. Like, pay attention to them whenever they're not on a stage or in a Bible study or on their video. He's saying, just be careful who, be careful who you listen to, because sometimes hints are there. And it's always a very hurtful thing whenever people are kind of... So there was somebody, I won't even bother saying his name, but his ministry meant a lot to me whenever I was in college. I heard heard him. I heard the way he taught the gospel. I heard the way he, he defended the faith. And so for me, this was an incredibly important person. And a few years ago, I've spent years reading his books, years listening to his messages. And a few years ago, kind of little things begin to float out there. And one of them was that he had been a bit inappropriate with, with a woman. And initially, it was like, well, come on, one person, years and years of ministry, like no way. I mean, this guy's the real deal, right? And then someone else began to say something and then someone else began to say something. And it turned out that um, he may have taught accurately a lot of things, but he was as false as false could be. He was as false as false could be. And in the aftermath of it, I had to eventually tear myself away from reading about it because it was so deeply discouraging to me. But in the aftermath of it, as I was reading, some of his coworkers said, you know, we did notice that some of the rules for the rest of us weren't rules for them. Like we would be told, don't travel so much that you're away from your family this much. And yet he would mention that in the last year he had traveled this much. And yet all along the way, people are like, yeah, but it's him. Yeah, but it's him. Look how he teaches the word of God. And what Jesus is saying is we've got to look beyond teaching. We've got to look to life. And whenever you see things that don't seem right by the word of God, if you see something that doesn't seem right by the word of God, run. Turn it off. Listen to someone else. The kingdom is big. 
There are thousands upon thousands of faithful men and women who live steady lives and who try their best to teach. So don't fall for a lot of flash whenever the fire of God hasn't purified somebody's heart. Now say that, so be careful. And if it looks like, especially in the day of online platforms, if it seems odd that a minister seems to try to be like showing themselves to be sexy, if it seems odd, that's because it's odd. It's because that's not the way you're supposed to do it, bro, or ma'am, or whatever. Like, it, there's, if it seems not right, if the fruit on the vine is rotten, go away from it. Go away from it. So not everyone who speaks about God speaks for God. Now, Jesus is speaking right here in a, in a very religious context, um, I think if he was speaking to us today in our religious slash very secular context where all of this is alongside, he'd probably encourage us a little bit about social media in general. I mean, the whole notion of social media is that we get attention through building influence and we build influence because we have a direction that we want people to go, whether it's to buy our stuff or embrace our way of living. And so I think Jesus's words would also be very applicable for you. Pay attention to who you pay attention to. Pay attention to who you pay attention to. And know that the things you watch and the things you listen to are affecting the way you think and the things you do. That's how it works. We do the things we do because we think the way we think. And we think the way we think based on the influences that we're allowing into our hearts and our minds. Here's one of the craziest examples of this. Have any of you heard about the research that's being done lately on, tongue twister, on TikTok ticks? Have any of you heard of this? So during the pandemic, largely, while people, while we were all sitting around at home scrolling, right? But it was during the intensity of the pandemic that doctors began to deal with teenagers. Specifically, uh, it, was a lot of, it was a lot of young women who were showing signs of like rapid onset Tourette's symptoms. Uh, just verbal tics, uh, flapping of the arms, hitting people, throwing things, saying things, uh, things that are associated with that um, disorder. But it was happening in so many young women. And as doctors began to communicate with each other, they noticed that around the world, it was the same phrases that were being yelled. Crazy shark, beans, woohoo. And so they're like, okay, what is happening right here? And of course, what they realized is that thousands of young women are listening to the same people on TikTok but this actually began to manifest symptoms of genuine illness in those who were watching. I'm not saying everything works this way, but I am saying we do the things we do because we think the way we think. We think the way we think because of what we let in here. And not everything that wants our attention deserves our attention. It just doesn't. Let me kind of hustle and wrap up here. <clears throat> the final thought, what Jesus tells us, is that how someone lives is more important than what they say or what they know. How someone lives 
is more important than what they say or what they know. Because how I live my life determines how seriously I take these words of Jesus. That's what it determines. So Jesus in Luke chapter 13 goes on and says, you will say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. Now this is Jesus's day while he's walking the earth. He said, you're gonna say, we ate and drank in your presence, you taught in our streets. I tell you, I don't know you or where you're from. Get away from me, all you evildoers. It's a reminder that proximity to Jesus or church staff or your parents being really devoted Christians or going to SAGU or being an intern or just being a better kid than most at your school. Who we are in private is who we really are. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in that place when you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. They will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, to share the banquet in the kingdom of God. So again, the invitation is wide. They're gonna come from everywhere. The end of time picture that we're given in scripture is of millions upon millions upon billions of people from every race, every ethnicity, every language, every everything around the kingdom of God. The invitation is wide, but the way is narrow. So let me read the rest of the Sermon on the Mount to you. We're gonna close. Jesus finishes with kind of what Peggy talked about today. He speaks of two foundations. And again, he's asking us to choose. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who has built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. And when Jesus had finished these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. You know what shows the authority of Jesus? Not just his words, but his resurrection. If he wasn't resurrected, it just would have been a sad end to a good life. But then really, would it have been good if he said all these crazy things and couldn't back them up? He said it. He backed them up. And then today, he asked you and he asked I to make a choice. Let's pray. Lord, we love you.